Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm your host, Ian Fisher. We've got a really great show lined up for you today. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about some of the myths associated with the UC application system. We'll unpack how you might have the talk with your kids. Not that talk, but the one about paying for college and the cost of college and how you're going to finance that education in our third segment. So you won't want to miss that. Uh, But before we get to either of those two topics, uh, we want to talk a little bit more about athletic recruitment. Now, this is something that we unpacked about a month ago, a month and a half ago with my colleague, Ken and Dick here on the show. And he and I had a great conversation about how to engage with athletic recruitment. Today, we are welcoming one of our newer members to the college coach education team, uh, Jay Bonham. Hey, Jay, how's it going? It's going great, Ian. How are you? I'm doing really well. I'm glad to have you here. And one of the exciting things I think about adding new experts to our team is benefiting from all of the terrific experience that you've had. I was just reading the bio that we have for you up on our website, and there's so much great content there. I can see that you were an athletic liaison um, at Hamilton. Uh, You have read applications for at least four different institutions. um, And we're excited about that expertise, but you're actually here today for a slightly different reason, which is that your son went through the athletic recruitment process and is a student athlete right now. Do you want to just introduce us to him um, so that the listeners know a little bit about where you're coming from on this topic? Yeah, of course. I mean, so, I mean, when my friends from college and high school know that I was an athletic liaison, they sort of joke because I myself was not much of an athlete, <laughs> and I actually joke on how I was cut from my intramural basketball team in college, <laughs> but it was a great experience. And so I was able to work in college admissions for many years, and one of my main roles was working in, in, um, as an athletic liaison. But then I find myself having a son who is um, growing up and loving the sport of football, and, but doing other things as well. Mm-hmm. And got to a point where there was a possibility that he might be able to continue that in college. And so even with all of my experience, it still is a little different when it's your own son. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm certainly was very pleased that he did the process correctly. He found a place that uh, wanted him for as a student and as an athlete, uh, but also a place that he really fell in love with. And so, I mean, certainly we can talk a little bit more about that process, but he is a junior in college these day, this, uh, at this point um, at McAllister College in, in St. Yeah. Paul, Minnesota, and is having a wonderful experience. And I'm just, both my wife and I are just thrilled that um, it's worked out well for him. I remember we were talking about um, doing the radio show segment a couple of days ago, and you said he's a sophomore. Wait, no, he's a junior. It's like <laughs> these things just happen so, so quickly. And I want to go back uh, a little bit in the story, um, back to just early, early high school. Um, and that might feel like yesterday to you. Obviously, it was a few years ago in real time. Um, so he started playing high school football, I would imagine. Um, and at what point did you get the sense that he was really good at this thing? Or when did he start to feel like, hey, this is something that I actually got some, some talent in? Right. So... He started, I mean, we'd moved from upstate New York to Ohio to start his in, in advance of his freshman year. And so um, where we lived in central Ohio, football is big. Yeah. And so, I mean, he was put into a, into a position where he was had great competition around him. Um, and to be quite honest, he's a big kid. And uh-huh. so certainly from a physical aspect, I mean, that was something that was helping his um, thought that maybe he would be able to compete. Uh, we did not have visions of Division One big time athletics. We okay. that was not going to be something that that he would be 
that would be available to him because he certainly was a very good um, athlete in high school, but was not going to be at that level. Okay. Um, and to be honest, as parents, we weren't sure if we want that. We would want that for him anyway. We wanted him to have a real college experience. Um, so really around like sophomore year, I think he was starting to think that, okay, this could be a possibility. And so he started to reach out to different coaches. Uh, but the bulk of the bulk of the recruiting, of course, did not start until uh, the, his junior the summer between his junior and senior year with some activities happening that, that spring of his, of his junior year. Um, and so in some ways his process mirrored a lot of other students who are not looking to play a sport, but it is definitely more condensed uh, because he was, I think having had a feeling as though he wanted to find a school um, and do it on a, on an earlier, earlier time frame. You just sort of in your language alluded to a, a distinction that I think might be helpful for those parents out there who have kids that are athletes and are starting to think a little bit about whether athletics might be a part of their college experience, right? You said probably wasn't going to be a, a D1 fit. And I think that centers on this idea of, well, are you big enough, fast enough, strong enough to compete at that level? It's a very different level. And especially when we're talking about football. But I also think you sort of alluded to this idea of a more traditional college experience versus one where athletics are more central to your everyday life on campus. Uh, you have to go to practices. The games are really, I mean, they're on TV. There's a lot of yeah. money that's invested in like, it's a very different thing to be at Alabama versus McAllister when it comes to football. How should parents and students kind of think about that distinction? Is it something that naturally plays out based on the talent of the student? Or is it something that um, you have to have a little bit more of an intentional thought process about? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think part of it plays out um, athletically, and just the way that you as a student are developing through high school. Uh, certainly, I think you want to take into account feedback you get from not just your own coaches, but as you start to talk with other coaches, I think things start to, to shift. And so people come to a point in realization that, okay, maybe I could try a division one level. Um, but for, for us, and I think for a number of kids who look at the division three is that they certainly want that to be central to their experience. Like this is going to be a big part of their college experience. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and just as you alluded to Ian, I mean, it's not the same as if you're on TV every Saturday. However, it's still a big time commitment. And so right. they, you have to be ready and prepared to do that. But at the same respect, I mean, I mean, he and a lot of other division three athletes have the ability to go and um, um, be involved in other clubs, other organizations. Um, my son's going to have an opportunity to study abroad in, in the spring. Oh, so cool. that's great. That kind of thing may probably is really more difficult when you're looking at some larger programs where it is your main focus and your only focus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I want to move into just sort of, you're, you're talking about kind of these conversations that students are having with coaches as they're starting to think about this athletic process. And I think it's really interesting, um, you know, with athletics, typically you would peak around your senior year, but by that point, you've already submitted applications, you've already made decisions about where you might consider attending. And you said that your son's conversations with coaches were happening in that summer between junior and senior year. What, what was the nature of, of those conversations? How did he in, initiate them? Um, and what was the balance between you know, assessing the program versus assessing the institution of, of higher education, right? So you're looking at a school, of course, but you're also looking at a coach and teammates and, and an athletic program. How did he balance those things? How did he begin those conversations? There's, there's a lot of questions in there. Oh, you, yeah. No, and those are great like, topics. And I, I think, first of all, I mean, he was coming, or coming from a place where he had two parents, <laughs> for better or for worse, have been working in college, college administration, college admissions for many years. And so... Yeah. He was brought up visiting different colleges and, and talking with, with different people on, on college campuses. So he was familiar with that. Um, I mean, as the communication started, I mean, a lot of it had to do with just sort of reaching out. And I, I wouldn't necessarily call it cold calling, but certainly reaching out to coaches <laughs> yeah. with, I'm really interested in learning more about your program. Here's 
my huddle account, which is a, like a video clips that students can prepare. You've heard of that? Um, one. Yeah. The the biggest thing for him though was really having an opportunity to do some of the the prospect camps, where I mean we spent part of our summer, I mean going to different colleges and doing individual prospect camps for football. There's some really big ones. There's one in the Boston area called uh, New England Elite, which is a big sort of camp that brings kids in from all around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those kind of sessions allowed him to interact with coaches. And, and, and that's actually where he first made contact with um, what will now become his, his current coach. With respect to those prospect camps, just to, this idea kind of occurred to me that in a traditional college search for a student who's not considering athletics, visits to campus are really critical because you want to see campus, you want to get a sense for what the layout is, what the vibe of the institution is. But for students who are looking at athletics, they might have these camps or showcases or other opportunities where they have to get in front of coaches in order to be known, to be a known quantity in the recruitment process. How do students who are interested in athletics balance those two things? I mean, that's that's a commitment of travel in sometimes different directions. I mean, the idea that you would meet the McAllister coach in New England seems a little bit, you know, uh, unexpected. So how do you balance those things when you are looking at both of them as a, a parent, especially where you're where you're prioritizing, um, you know, making those choices? Yeah, I, I mean, certainly for him, I mean, the biggest priority for us as a family was education, no matter what. I mean, we wanted to find a place that that Charlie would be challenged academically, but also athletically. And so mm-hmm. that was very important to him as well. So certainly those were the conversations he would have with coaches about different academic programs, about the support that would be there um, for student athletes if, if, if it was necessary for them. Um, but I think to find that the balance is I mean, you're right. I mean, some of the some of the visits that we did to colleges were mainly um, uh, athletic visits where we'd meet with coaches and they would take us around campus. But we also made sure that for some schools that we did the regular admission information. So go and do the tour information session and then we would go meet with the coach. And mm-hmm. then the coach, would, of course, would want to take or take us around campus in general. And that's fine. Um but but that I think is 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 the biggest thing, and the other thing that I always I mentioned for I, I told our son is that the most important thing is that you want to find a school that you really really love, that and then you also want to find a coach who you really really like, yeah. and the reason I I mention this is because he actually finds himself in a position where his coach is is leaving for um, for very good professional and personal reasons, but he's not going to be entering the transfer protocol and like <laughs> deciding to wanting to go some other place. I mean, yeah. he has made a commitment to McAllister. And so I think that is important for student athletes and for parents too, to recognize that you want to support your son or daughter and you want them to continue with their dreams to go and, and give it a try um, athletically but at the end of the day, you still want to pick an institution that you're picking for the right reasons, the academic reasons, the cultural reasons, the um, institutional reasons. Yeah. Those are the things that you want to be your focus. That's great. I, I, we've got a, a few more minutes. I want to I want to get you into this mindset where you had this experience as an athletic liaison for an admission office. And now your son is applying for admission to schools where undoubtedly there are athletic liaisons that are communicating with the coaches. Was there any kind of advice or insight that you were able to give your son that maybe other student athletes might not have access to, to help him feel better about the process or better understand the process? Anything that you felt was really key for him in in seeing how things were going to unfold with McAllister? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think the biggest thing is, is what, of course, we harped on right from the beginning of high school is your academics come first, mm-hmm. because regardless of your athletic ability, coaches are looking for kids who they know they're not going to have issues with academically. And yeah. so from an ath- as an athletic liaison, that was also I mean, something I was looking at when I was evaluating transcripts for coaches. I mean, I'm not looking at their athletic ability. I'm looking at at their ability to contribute academically to our community. And so that was certainly something that I always kept telling Charlie is that, I mean, whatever happens with athletics, great, but just keep working hard, get the good grades. And that's going to mean help you 
in, in that um, when it comes to the recruiting process as well. So, so if you can take care of that academic piece, it makes it so much easier, right, yes. for the admission office to go to a coach and say, we would love to have Charlie on our campus. We're yep. glad that you're interested in him for football. That's a way that we can make you happy, but it also makes us happy because we're happy to have him as a community member. Exactly. Um, and it, it helps the coach out because it's, it's one less kid that the coach knows they're going to have to worry about with regard to their academic performance and how they're going to have their, in their transition to college. So it's, um, it can be a, a real benefit to, to, the, to the school in general. It's just a great reminder, I think, for any student that's aspiring to be a college athlete that, that really put those academics first because it, it helps make, th- make things so much easier. Um, in the last minute or so that we have, how, how is it going? <laughs> for John, is he enjoying playing football? Is he enjoying McAllister? Like, what's his, uh, what's his just general take now that he's there? I mean, it's funny. When he came back from his recruiting visit when he was applying, he got off the plane and, and told us, I found my people. Yeah, and and that is something that you hope as a parent that you find that that your kid will find that when they go to a school, and that's been the case for him for his three years, and I know will be for for all four years. He's having great academic experience, um, athletically. He's being challenged, and it's uh, it's been fun for him. Uh, but I think more importantly, we've been able to see the growth in him as a person, um, which as a parent, that's what you want. Absolutely. Well, Jay, uh, thanks so much for coming and and, and oh. uh, breaking the ice for your first time here yeah, on the show. My pleasure. I'm sure we'll have you back many more times. And it's a, just a really fortunate position for us as educators that we have so many experts who have students who are going through this process, whether it's Beth and her son, who's who's thinking about applying this year, you and your son, who's in, a, in the athletic recruitment process. This is just awesome to have. So thanks a lot for being on the show, Jay. It's my pleasure, Ian. Thanks again. All right, folks, when we come back, we are going to talk about common myths that are associated with the University of California system, and we look forward to unpacking those with you after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. College admissions can be stressful but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everyone, welcome back to Getting In, a college coach conversation. We've got an office hours segment here. Uh, If you are watching on the video feed, you can probably already see that we've got my colleague, Becky Likling, here joining us today. Now, Becky, you are my longest friend here at College Coach. You're the <laughs> reason that I'm at College Coach. And when you and I started, uh, we both worked out of our Palo Alto office. And I think you were there for five years in total, based in California. I was there for just three. Um, but we continue to work a lot to support students in California. And in the time that we have worked in the California system, are talking with students about the UCs, we've heard a lot of different kinds of things, right? Um, and so uh, we wanted to just talk about some of the 
misconceptions that people have around the UCs, some of the things that you might have heard from your neighbor's gardener about how hard it is to get into certain campuses um, and unpack some of those things as we go. Um, so, Becky, um, what are, I mean, is there a dominant kind of idea that you find that you encounter in conversation about the University of California system? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, we have talked about this before. I love the UC system for its transparency. There are no secrets. They are telling you exactly, this is what we do. This is how we do it. This is what you should be thinking about. And yet, I feel like we get more questions about UC admissions than any other system. And so I think that is the dominant myth, is that they must mean something other than what they're saying. (laughs) And the answer is, no, 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 no. They literally mean exactly what they are saying. That's right. Yeah, I, I, I think that's exactly right. There are so many schools that are opaque um, that don't give you any sense of what they're really looking at, how they're going to evaluate things. And you have to try. And I mean, it's part of why we have jobs, right? Is that like this process is really hard to understand. The UCs are wonderful in that you can find an answer to almost any question that you have about their process right on their website. One of the examples of those is the how applications are reviewed um, section of the app. If you want to know what they're looking at, they'll tell you. I'm going to pull that up just so um, yeah. people on the video can see the website where it's actually located. And then maybe you can uh, talk us through it. Um, there we go. Can you see that? I can. Yes. Awesome. And for those of you who are um, not following visually, the number one factor for admissions is the academic grade point average in A to G courses, your core academic classes that are, you know, with UC honors boost. And so GPA, number one. And I think for so many families, that's where the conversation almost ends. It must just be GPA. And I love seeing this full list of 13 factors because GPA is truly just just one little piece. These are not weighted. It's not that each of these is one thirteenth of the whole, um, but I love seeing the many different ways. They acknowledge smartness. Like here, the qu- number six, the quality of your academic performance relative to the educational opportunities available in your high school. That's not the same as how many APs did you take? It's what's available in your high school. How did you maximize that? One of the things I like about this list is that there's a, a level of simplicity for these first few factors, one or two lines. And then we get down further to number 10, which is a full paragraph that I won't read, but <laughs> special talents and achievements and awards in a particular field, visual and performing arts. So they really want to say, like, look, we're trying to unpack the whole student. We want to do this holistic review. They are so big about saying that holistic review is a key element of how they're assessing students through this process. And just coming to this page, if you're applying to the UC system, you can search for how applications are reviewed, University of California, to find your way to this page. It used to be the 14 factors for admission. They no longer consider test scores. So now it's 13 factors for admission. And it's just an awesome thing, I think, to, to come and unpack. And let's, let's really highlight that. The 14th factor, test scores, is deleted. It's not here. not yeah. looking at test scores. They will not see your SAT score. They will not see your ACT score. That's not a joke. That's not a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. No test scores for the UCs this year. That's right. They're completely test-free. And that's going to continue on in through fall of 2024 entering classes. We'll see what happens after that. But we can trust that as they make changes to whatever their approach will be, they will tell us. They will be explicit about what their expectations are with respect to standardized testing if they choose to bring that back. But if you're applying to college this fall, next fall, or the fall after that for fall 2024, um, you know we're going to be uh, not looking at testing. Um, One of the things, Becky, that I often hear, and I think that that it sort of is answered by this list of factors, is you hear families that will say, this student in my son's school or my daughter's school has a weaker profile than my daughter does. They got into Berkeley and my student didn't. I mean, I think that part of the fact that you can see so many different factors here shows that it's not just about what you can assess in terms of that profile. But I do think that there is something to this idea of what we perceive within our communities 
as strengths among unique students, and then how those strengths might be conveyed through the application. Um, what do you say to families that have that conception of this person's stronger, but this this student got in? I think that with four, 13 factors for consideration and with the richness of human experience that can be celebrated in special accomplishments or achievements, how do you possibly compare someone who is on the participating at an international level, the Junior Olympics for ice skating, with somebody who developed an app to help all of the seniors in their neighborhood find COVID vaccines when that became available and was able to get 200 elderly residents without as much tech confidence plugged into a vaccine. Like those are, those are different people. Right. And there's no way to say bravery is better than empathy, is better than creativity, is better than curiosity. Because they're just all amazing different things. And so I think that's where it's so tricky when what families see is the perception of intelligence, the perception of who raises their hand in class, or maybe you even know their GPA, but the character and the way that individual represented themselves on paper, we don't ever know what somebody else did or who read that application and what they thought of it. That's right. And and one of the things that you and I focus on and, and all of the educators at College Coach is when we look at the component parts of an application, especially the UC application, which has so many rich and interesting parts uh, qualitatively, is how do you help introduce yourself to this reader? Um, what are the essential elements of your experience through high school that you want this reader to understand about you? And the reality is that a lot of students, some students are better at that than other students are in terms of, in terms of what they choose to focus on. And in terms of their ability to stay authentic to what they really prioritize and what they care about. Um, I did a, a workshop yesterday. You were there with me and we were talking about the UCs and we were looking at the section for activities and it was explicit in the instructions. We want you to share the things that are most meaningful to you. And yet we get questions all the time about which activity should I do or which one should I prioritize as I put them on this list. Um, are there activities that are more valued within the context of UC admission than others? I know that's a, that's a softball for you, but let's see. <laughs> let's see what you do with it. Great question. No. And the UCs say that straight up. In that you know, paragraph 10 that you showed us, they listed so many different types of activities. And they let students self present in any way that matters, whether it's a job or a sport or a volunteer commitment you've had over time, all things are equal. And I think even there, robotics or swim are not personality traits. They're not character traits. Those are just activities. Swimmers represent a million different ways of engaging in the world. Kids who do robotics are not the same because they do the same activity. And so the challenge for the applicant is to figure out not which activity is most important, but who am I as myself? What is my heart and soul? And in which spaces of my life am I showing up in ways that model that? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great way of thinking about it. I had the pleasure yesterday of doing some brainstorming with a student of mine around the UC applications. We were really drilling into those kinds of questions. You know, what is really important to you? And for him, it became abundantly clear. You've got to write about swimming. Like this is so central to you. It, it models your work ethic. We're going to make sure that we've got some of that in the application. Now, we really like the UCs, I think, as admissions experts, because we don't have to try and figure out what they mean by things. But there are some, there are some elements of the UCs, I think, that um, we wish that, that maybe they weren't quite as selective, right? Like they were, that there's more space for students because yeah. a lot of students yeah. really like these institutions. That's, that's part of where it's like, oh, man, I really wish it, didn't, it wasn't this way. Um, and one of the things that I think students have the hardest time understanding is the role of the major selection in their application process and how selecting a major affects where they are considered or where they are read within an applicant pool. And part of my instinct about why they have problems with understanding this is because of the Cal State system. Mm-hmm. So with, with the Cal States, you really do apply by major and you are read by major. Um, and so there is a strong distinction, whether you're applying for 
English or for architecture or engineering, what your academic level of achievement needs to be in order to be considered. The UCs have a different approach than the CSUs do, but we still tend to talk about my major as being an important indicator for whether you're going to be selected for admission. Let's talk about that a little bit and and where that that goes wrong. Yeah. Um, And again, every UC campus is a little bit different. There are some campuses where they straight up, you are just admitted to the division. Some majors look at that major and will assign you that pre-major status. And so there is some variation, but in general, you're so right that students will have more flexibility in their, especially the first year to shift around and find a new major within the general college that is not the same at the CSU where you're, you're really committed to your major. Um, And I think this is where like circling back to the master plan, the, the, the California master plan. I knew you'd bring this up. I love it. Everything in California, it's like straight up. They tell you what is what. The community college system is for everyone. Anyone who wants to continue learning in the state of California can enroll in their community college. Then you have this CSU system, the Cal States, and that includes Cal Poly Pomona, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, and the newest Cal Poly Humboldt State. Um, This is for the top third of students graduating California high schools. This is the, the smart kids, the ones who are really focused on learning and deepening their experiences. And then you have the UCs, which are the intellectual and research hub of the state where new knowledge is being created that's leading the charge in what the world can do because of the PhD programs and the master's programs and that graduate level thought work. They Mm -hmm. definitely have undergrad programs. These are great undergrad institutions as well, but they are targeted at the top 12% of students and the focus of the institution is on the research, this new knowledge, being a beacon of light in the world in contrast to the teaching and learning that's happening at the CSU. And so that's where I think there's like all this this stress about major and I've got to know, I've got to know, I've got to know. There's a lot of things happening in four-year experience at, at UCLA or at UC Davis. And it's not all about your major. And especially when the university is thinking about who are we educating? Like, the crown of the bio department at Davis is graduate levels, is right. PhD. That's and right. undergrads are still teenagers. Show up. We want to educate you. We want you to explore. We want you to dive in and maybe apply to grad school too. Right, right. And there, there's so much more flexibility, I think, than students perceive uh, when they are applying to the UC. There's so much more flexibility once they get there to do some exploration. That's not universal and that doesn't extend to all programs. There is some sorting into different buckets that will happen so that if you're interested in engineering, you are considered among all of the other students who are also interested in engineering. Um, If you're interested in the letters and sciences, which includes at Berkeley, biology and English and anthro and philosophy and even a computer science program, then you're considered in that bucket. So there's a lot of uh, misconception around choosing a very specific major like philosophy and only being read among the other philosophy majors. Right. In reality, that's not happening at that level of detail. It's happening with the entire bucket of letters and sciences. So there are intended philosophy majors who are being read alongside intended computer science majors within that particular college at UC Berkeley. And you'll find analogs to that at other campuses. So I think one of the things that I want families to understand is it's not about the major. It's usually about the college. There are some exceptions to this, but the college within the university is that sorting bucket in which you're being considered with those campuses. And when you're applying as a teenager, it is as a community member, as someone who's going to show up and engage. And so your essays and your activities don't need to prove your pre-professional readiness or your pre-major readiness. It's got to engage in your bravery, your creativity, your curiosity, your kindness, the the human being that you are, not not the future adult necessarily. And that's, that's so counterintuitive. And for some reason that crops up a lot with the UCs, with families and it does it with me too. I mean, even I, when I think about the UCs, I'm a little bit more dialed into that and have to remind myself to pull back and think, this is about still building an undergraduate community of students who are in an exploratory phase. Um, So I think that's a great reminder, even for us as experts that, that um, that's, that's the key element of the undergraduate education. Um, One other thing that I wanted to just bring up, because there has been a recent announcement on this front, and and one of the myths we'll hear is it is easier to get into a UC from out of state. 
or it is harder to get into a UC from out of state. There, we you hear both, right? Like on either side uh, of the coin, um, and there have been some recent announcements uh, that are affecting the the population of students that are making up the incoming class. Um, do you want to walk us through uh, what what the UC Board of Regents has decided on that front? Yeah. Um, so. UC Board of Regents is uh, capping out-of-state enrollment at 18%. That has been the case for all but UCLA and Berkeley, and now they are adding that cap to Berkeley and UCLA as well, although it's going to be slowly um, putting into place over the next five years. Uh, The goal being we've got to serve the children of taxpayers. We've got to serve residents of California. Um, And I think there's been a lot of frustration of the perception that it's so much, you know, it's UCs are hard to get into if you're in state. That is true. In terms of the comparison with out of state, it really depends on campus. Because yeah, if you are applying to Davis, for example, I looked at these numbers because so I knew you were going to ask me this. UC <laughs> Davis has a 40% acceptance rate in California and a 72% acceptance rate for students. Becky, it's easier. It's easier to get into. I don't, come on, help me understand this. That looks the pretty new, obvious. The, new, the numeric stats of the students who are admitted isn't really changing. But keep in mind, if you're coming from out of state, you're paying twice as much to go to a, a rural college where you probably have a similar version of that in your own state. That's half mm-hmm. the cost. And so mm-hmm. the demand for spots is lower. And so it's easier, it's easier to get in because there's less demand, but the quality of the applicant is not necessarily any different. Right. And that's, that's and, the important distinction. Yeah. Go ahead. You had, you have more data to share. Well, the flip side is this is just so campus by campus. Merced has an 87% acceptance rate in state and only a 60% acceptance rate out hmm. of state. Interesting. So there's more kids. It, it really campus by campus by campus. And you would, you'd be surprised by some schools that vary in popularity. It's just how much do other people think this is a popular school versus not, but the quality of applicant is not necessarily different. And this underscores a deep myth that I hear all the time about schools, which is if a school is more selective uh, in terms of the percentage of students who get in, it is harder to get into. And that leaves out the quality of the applicants. And that is a huge, huge piece because if you are choosing UC Davis as an out-of-state applicant, there is something really excellent about UC Davis that you see as a fit for you and that you can demonstrate through that application such that your quality of the application goes up. And there, there are fewer, fewer students who are choosing to make that choice. So that's why there's a larger percentage overall. But again, the quality of those applicants is likely indistinguishable from the quality of the applicants that are coming from California And of course, we have to keep in mind that California is hugely populous. There are so many students there um, who all apply to most of the UCs. I mean, if they are college bound, I mean, we we see that all the time. And the students that I work with, at least that are out of state, are usually looking at UCLA, Berkeley, UC San Diego, UC Santa Barbara, and not looking at some of the other campuses, which is just a measure of how those schools catch on with the national population. Totally. Um, we thought we would have nothing to talk about. We've gone way over time. Yeah, sorry here. about that. This is, uh, <laughs> Thank you for your time today. <laughs> typical of Becky and Ian. When we get together, we take up way too much time. Um, so we are going to close that segment. Becky, thanks for being here to talk about the UCs. Um, and when we come back, we will talk about having the financial talk with your teenager. Don't go away. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. 
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, folks, welcome back to our final segment for today's episode of Getting In. Uh, We are going to turn our attention to some of those difficult conversations that you might have with your teenager. And joining us to unpack one of those conversations is Tara Piantanita Kelly. Hey, Tara, how's it going? Good, Ian. And with you? It's going really well. We're having a great show so far. Um, and I'm excited to, to finish it off with this conversation. Now, you sent me the scope of this conversation is you know, it's time to have the talk with your college-bound students. And uh, this could go a number of different directions, but uh, we like to keep it professional here. So what do you mean by the talk? The talk. Well, for, for this particular talk, I'm talking finances. Um, you know, what is, uh, the, what is the family prepared to do financially to, to cover some of the college costs? Um, so it's, it's actually having the financial talk with, uh, with the parents and the students. Okay. And depending on who you are and who your kids are, that might be easier or harder than other versions of the talk that you might have had uh, over the course of your life. But let's center our our conversation here on the college finance piece. Why is this an important thing to have uh, with students? Uh, There is some intuition that I might have about it, but um, what are some pieces that you're seeing that, that are important for families as they're getting ready to send their student off to college? Yeah. Okay. Well, let me tell you a very quick but sad story. This actually happened when I was a financial aid director. Beginning of the semester, the student uh, moved into the residence halls. The parents helped you know, get his room all set up. And then they came and sat in my office and said, okay, so how are we going to pay for this? And, and the student said, oh, well, my parents are going to pay for it all. And the parents were like, mm, no, we're not. <laughs> it's like, okay, that is a little late to be having the conversation. So they were just not on the same page when it came to who was going to to foot the bill. And so um, I always say, you know, the earlier you can have this conversation, the better so that the student and the parents, everybody is on the same page well before anyone gets moved into the residence hall. Yeah. Um, if you're watching the video feed of this, I have a look of astonishment on my face because I thought that story was coming, but I thought it was about like incidental expenses, like food or, or, you know, video games. This is like the whole thing. That is, wow. Okay. (laughs) What a difficult (laughs) conversation to have had. Um, So let's avoid that moment. The room is like, Hmm. Yeah, you want to just like, it's that Homer Simpson gif where you just want to like recede into the bushes when that happens. Um, That's very difficult. Okay, so that's a good read. That's something to avoid. Let's, let's back up and think about for families that do this the right way, that do have a talk about uh, college finances, what are the things that they can discuss? How do they broach this subject with a student um, and, and help that student to kind of feel like an ally in this process, somebody that is in it with them? Exactly, exactly. So there's really just two things. Um, So the parents need to outline to the students just what they are willing and able to pay for college costs. So if, you know, if the parent says, yes, we can write a check for $80,000 every year for the next four years, go have at it, right? And the student's like, okay, now I know what the parameters are. Whereas if the parents said, uh, we can come up with $30,000 per year every year for the next four years. And then the student, it becomes a conversation with the student. Okay, do you want, there are plenty of like in-state four-year institutions that you could go to probably essentially with no money out of the student's pockets and no no loans. Or if the student wants to go to, let's say, a, a private school, then the student knows, okay, I have to bring in this much scholarship money in order to make that particular school work. So, you know, having the parents say, this is what we can are willing and able to do um, is step one. And then if there is any kind of financing that needs to happen, um, the parents and the students should discuss that as well. So yeah. it could be, 
you know, do, are we going to need to finance anything? And if so, you know, who is going to cover that? Is the student going to cover it with the federal student loan? Because those tend to be kind of small for undergraduate students. Right. Um, is the parent going to, going to cover it? And if so, the, the parents can say, you know, we think you should only borrow this much for federal student loans, and we are only comfortable borrowing this much, um, you know, in our name or to co-sign. And if they're not willing to borrow or they're not willing to co-sign, they need to make that information up front so that the student so the student knows. Yeah, it, this really sounds like a, a series of conversations, right? Like this is ongoing. It's something where you might broach the subject somewhat early and then, and then return back to it. And it's it also, I, I'm imagining sort of a pencil and paper at the dining room table kind of conversation where you're starting to write things down and really sketch out this, this stuff um, and, and just understand a little bit better about what further research needs to be done, how you're going to assess these different kinds of loans and the options. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Where do students and parents go to get this information? How do you figure out how much you can afford to spend on college? That's a huge number. I mean, you said $80,000 a year. That's like shutter expensive. $30,000 a year is also extremely expensive. So how should families think about what they can afford and and unpacking that cost uh, over the course of that four years? So when I'm talking to some parents, I say, well, take a look at your resources, assess your resources. Number one, did you put anything aside uh, for college savings, 529 plan, some kind of savings? Have you saved at all for college? And if so, how much? Um, The next thing is, you know, take a look at your current uh, monthly budget. Does your current income, is there any way that you can make some kind of payment arrangements with the school, you know, coming out of your current income? Because that can stretch things. Right. And then, you know, if there's something left over, take a look at what are you willing and able to finance if you do choose to, if, if that becomes a necessity. So kind of assessing all of the resources. Gotcha. Now, you know, I think that, um, you know, if we're thinking a little bit about when this should happen, you know, I think it sounds like when we think about the talk, right, it feels like a once you know, I want you to have, have this information and then you're good. Um, but it really feels like it has to start earlier. So what is the timing that you would recommend? Where is too early? Is there a too early? Like, uh, how does this conversation occur for students and families? And I like the fact that you point out that this isn't just one talk. This is yeah. a conversation that is going to continue. And it can start as early as just elementary school saying, hey, you know, dad and I are putting some money aside for, for your college, just so you know. And, uh, but we don't know if we'll be able to cover every bit of it, but if this will help. And then throughout middle school years, you know, kind of reinforcing that, you know, we're saving. Um, what are you, you know, are you, you know, it, we expect you to come up with some portion of it. So, you know, start thinking about after school jobs, you're going to save, want to save a portion of that. And then in high school, it it becomes, okay, these are our resources. Uh, This is what colleges cost. There's plenty of uh, information out there to find out what colleges cost. Um, And this is how much we think we can, this is how much college we think we can afford without borrowing. Now, if we're willing to borrow some, then we can afford a little bit more. But uh, you're right. It it does become kind of a partnership between the student and, and parent. I, I, we've had this conversation in our household. I've got an eight-year-old and a seven-year-old, and we've already started having this conversation about what college costs, especially in comparison to other high-ticket items, right? So like we, we just bought a car. We talked about what a car costs, and we compare that to what the house costs and what we pay monthly on our mortgage and then what the college costs are going to be. And we do it in fairly simple terms, right? Like um, my kids still say, is $100 a lot of money? <laughs> you know, so like we're trying to figure all of this stuff out as we go. But I think introducing them to that concept very, very early on is helpful and I found, Tara, that the, the students that I work with who are more aware of their family's financial circumstances are more empowered to ask questions about scholarships, about sources of aid, when they go visit campuses, when they talk to financial aid officers, when they're investigating these different resources. Do you notice that kind of difference in the way that students engage with the process of financing their education? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They, they take, um, they take some ownership of it. Un- unlike the story that I mentioned at the beginning, where <laughs> nobody's the taking ownership. Like, nope, they're going to cover it. 
Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, the student had no, um, there was no desire for him to go look for scholarships because mom and dad are covering it all. That's right. That's right. So, but, but when the student knows, okay, well, like from, for instance, my, when my, we were looking for schools for, for my daughter, we had this conversation and I said, this is what we can afford. And she said, well, I want to go to, you know, a small private liberal arts, you know, college out in the, the country. And I'm like, okay, well, those come with a heavier price tag. So yeah. this is what you're going to need to come up with. You're going to need to get the scholarship, whatever. Um, and, but in addition to that, uh, if, if let's say the deficit is, $30,000. I'm not going to let you borrow $30,000 a year yeah. because I don't think that would be prudent. And so it, it led to a different conversation. Um, and it turns out she did, you know, get the scholarship and she made it work. Uh, but she had to be much, much more proactive um, because we had set the parameters. This is what we can and, and, and are willing to do. Anything beyond that got to come from you. That makes, I mean, it makes so much sense. And one of the things I so appreciate about our finance team, um, you know, everybody working on the finance team is the importance of this financial literacy. It's not just understanding how the FAFSA works and what the profile is. It's also how much should you borrow given what you expect to earn? How do you save? Uh, how do you put yourself in a position to manage money wisely? And we've got great programming that we do uh, even with earlier students, because this is a conversation that I think the more we as Americans can talk about financing anything that we purchase, I think the better equipped we are to be competent um, as we move forward uh, in our lives. Are there any final uh, pieces of advice that you want to give to families just in thinking about this particular kind of conversation? Uh, sure. Um, you know, the earlier, the better. Uh, oftentimes, yeah. parents, this, there's, a, there's so much wrapped up in this whole you know, a uh, college thing, even emotionally for parents, they're like, I don't want to have to say no to my kid's dream school, um, but this is all we can afford. So starting that conversation as early as possible is it can, it can be a, make a huge difference. Awesome. That's great advice. Uh, and Tara, thanks so much for coming on the show. I thought it would be a little bit more painful. We're having the talk, but I, this is great. And I hope that uh, families benefit from it. Okay, folks, we are all done for today. That takes care of today's session, getting in a college coach conversation. Of course, we will be back next week. We've done almost 350 of these episodes. We're not going anywhere. Uh, we will be talking about 3-2 engineering programs. We'll unpack what supplemental essays are and where to find them. And we'll discuss what it means when colleges say they will cover 100% of demonstrated financial need. That's a great promise, but is that too good to be true? Anyway, we look forward to seeing you next week. If you have an opportunity to give us a review, we love five-star reviews. Tell your friends about us. We want to get this information out to as many people as possible. We hope you have a great weekend and enjoy the rest of your summer. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.